All right, it is the 11 Dub Cast. I'm Johnny. He's Chase Brown this week. Uh, Andy is off in parts unknown. He's a contract killer for the CIA, so he'll talk all about his uh, his foibles and, and, and you know, missions and things like that when he gets back. But until then, we've, as I said, we've got Chase here to fill in. How are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking and happy to be filling in for Andy. I know that he can't talk about the matters of his absence, but that's right. Maybe one day he'll tell us on his deathbed. That's right. And then, yeah, before before a team of ninjas breaks through the window and you know, <laughs> garrots us all or something like that. Um, so there are a few things that we can get into this week. It's kind of a we're in that like lull, you know, before it's, we've got the end of the season. The Heisman ceremony happened. We're not quite at bowl season yet. We're, we're like kind of inching our way there. Um, but we're, we're in this kind of like, I don't, I want to call it a dead period because there's definitely too much anxiety for that. Uh, but there are definitely some things that we can get into and talk about. We're going to get into the Heisman a little bit, talk a little bit about recruiting, which I think is kind of, you know, speaking of anxiety, that's the, uh, the driver of that du jour, I think for Ohio state fans, uh, <laughs> in the, in the intervening two weeks before then we can turn our anxiety towards the Georgia Bulldogs. And then, uh, finally, I want to talk a little bit about men's basketball before we get into the break because honestly we have not done them i think they're due and this is a fun team and i kind of want to get into that a little bit but let's go ahead and start with the heisman ceremony cj stroud finishes third extremely predictable i don't think anybody expected him to to pull a crazy upset uh finishes behind caleb williams who of course won it max duggan at tcu um you know and really this was not not a close ballot. And I got to ask you something, man, you know, you're, you're a little bit younger than me. I think maybe how you've seen the Heisman over the years is probably different than what I grew up with it. And I'll, I'll get into that in a second, but in general, I just want to get your perception, your perspective of what the Heisman kind of means to you. And do you, do you get excited when you see, you know, Ohio state having a finalist? I mean, we've seen that pretty, you know, honestly, it's not, not, you know, unusual at this point do, do you get stoked for that I, I still do um i think that you make a good point that i mean recently ohio state has had a finalist it seems like every year when you yeah. look at cj stroud and um justin fields and chase young and Dwayne haskins and i mean really just big time players that ohio state has brought in to uh really just lead the charge in terms of offensive production which really that's kind of what the heisman award is at this point it's Right. It's an offensive award and and more, I mean, if you want to look closer, it's a quarterback award at this point too. Um, I'm not really sure what a skill position that's not the quarterback, what they would have to do to really win the Heisman these days. I mean, Devontae Smith did it in 2020, but it, you really think about the four finalists for this season were all quarterbacks. Last year were all quarterbacks aside from Aiden Hutchinson, who had just come off the biggest game of his career against Ohio State. So there's a little bit of recency bias there, but you know, you, you look at it and it's a lot of quarterbacks. It's a lot, maybe you have a couple of skill players here and there, but uh, yeah, I still say I would get excited for it. And I think that it's, it's something that has such prestige that it'll always attract the eyeballs. And it's always something that I'm going to be interested in because of that. Okay. The, the thing here with me that I think has caused me to sour on it a little bit is because it used to be, at least when I was younger, and, and maybe it's just because I, I think information was disseminated in a different way and you kind of absorbed college football differently. But 
you know, when I was a teenager and then even when I was in my early 20s in college and like, you know, 2003, 2004, 2005, um, it felt like the Heisman was still up for grabs at any point in time in the season, right? Like it really was this horse race where you were kind of like a week to week thing where you really didn't know who was going to be the guy. And I really, it's kind of funny because it, it almost feels like maybe even starting with Troy Smith winning the Heisman, that that's where a lot of that started to change. And I think the reason why it doesn't have the same juice for me that it used to is because it feels like they start, even if you don't know who's necessarily going to win it, you know what the conditions are for each of the people who are, you know, the top two or three guys to win it. And what I mean by that is like, okay, if CJ Stroud had come out and played gangbusters against Michigan and then Ohio state had won, that's his award, right? He wins that award walking away because that didn't happen. You see everything else that's happening and you know, it's going to be Caleb Williams. And so there's no drama there. There's literally, there's just no drama to the proceedings whatsoever. And so for me, it's like, you know, if I already know who's going to win, and, you know, by a, a fairly significant margin. And I know all the conditions that are going to allow each of the guys to win. So, you know, I don't even really have to pay that close attention to mm -hmm. you know voting or the narrative around it. Then it's hard for me to get super invested in all the pomp and circumstance, you know, to watch a three hour presentation or some crazy thing, because it's not, like I said, the, the drama just isn't there. So, you know, I love it if an Ohio State player ends up winning an award like that. I think that's great and that's fun and I'll pay attention to that. But the lead up to it to me feels so neutered now that it's like, I don't, you know, I used to get super stoked for a lot of the positional awards too. I'm like, I wanted Ohio State to win every one of those, like win the big narrative, you know, win the outland and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And even that it's like, you know, exactly who the person's going to be. And so it, it just feels like because of social media and, and, and how we consume this stuff, a lot of that, a lot of that drama, a lot of that anticipation just isn't there anymore. Yeah. It, it did sort of feel that way this season, didn't it? Where it, it you kind of had specific candidates that had the Heisman Trophy. Really, if they won a specific game, the right. people sort of determined, like, if you win this game, then you you are going to win the Heisman Trophy. Right. It was win the Georgia game for Tennessee's quarterback, Hendon Hooker. It was win the Michigan game for C.J. Stroud. It was win the Pac-12 championship for Caleb Williams. And it ended up being that Caleb Williams didn't need to win that game to win the Heisman. But, you know, there's these games that show up on the resume where it's like, okay, you can have a Heisman moment in this game. Um, and it doesn't necessarily seem like people want to acknowledge the entire body of work. Once you get to that point in New York, it's like, mm -hmm. okay, these people had the Heisman moments. These people were the ones that impacted their team in the biggest games without necessarily looking at what sort of role did you play on your team from start to finish. And, and I don't know if that's necessarily the right way to look at it. You know, I've, I've heard, I know we talked about it last time, but your previous co-host on the show, Bo Bishop, I listened to his show in the morning on 97.1 and he's been a Heisman voter forever. Yeah. Um, and he talks about how he takes the five biggest games on a quarterback schedule or I guess I shouldn't say quarterback, but every player, but let's be honest, it's a quarterback award at this right. point. Um, he looks at the five biggest games and how did you perform in those five biggest games? And I like that a little bit better than just taking the biggest game on your schedule and seeing how a player performed in that. Because again, football is a, a team game. You know, the players can play well and, and still not 
win the game for their team. I saw Griffin uh, Griffin Strom tweeted this yesterday that CJ Stroud actually had his third best game of the season against Michigan, according mm-hmm. to PFF's metrics. And it's like, okay, he did perform well enough that it might warrant some sort of Heisman recognition from that game. But again, he didn't win. So are you really going to discount what he did in that game to give him the Heisman trophy? And right. yeah, that's qualifiers. So you just start measuring straws a little bit. Okay, he performed well enough to win the game, but then the team let him down. To, like, Is that what a Heisman Trophy winner is supposed to do? You just sort of question what's going on back and forth. And so it's really measuring so more. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, yeah. In predetermined. And here's the other thing. And, and I, I'm glad actually you brought up Bo because we talked about this uh, when he was on the Dubcast several times. You know, he voted for Ndamukong Sue in the year that that Sue was a Heisman finalist. And he genuinely felt that Sue was the best player in America that year and deserved to win the Heisman. And he was right. Absolutely. And Dominican soon deserved it, but of course he didn't win. And I think at that point too, I was kind of like, look, man, like if it is just going to be a quarterback award or, you know, a a skill position award, 99% of the time, then that, that's another thing that really, I think, lessens the impact and the drama because it's just going to, you know, exactly who's going to win it. Um, and so I think that was one of the other things that kind of made me go like, you know what? I just, it's not that fun for me if a guy who is like one of the most dominant players in America can't get their just desserts. And that's, that's I think, something that, that takes away from it too, that it's just so narrow. Um, and that's unfortunate because, I mean, again, not to take anything away from C.J. Stroud or Caleb Williams or, you know, any of these guys. Um, it's just, you know, it, it feels too small. It feels like it's actually gotten smaller over the years. Mm-hmm. And that's unfortunate because it's supposed to be this premier award, you know, the biggest thing in, in college sports. And it just it hasn't felt like that to me in a lot of years. So, you know, again, what if Ohio State player wins that? Would I feel differently? Probably. Yeah. I would, you know, I'd be super stoked. But on the other hand, uh, if, like I said, if CD Stroud had won, you know, and, and against Michigan, then it would have been his award. And we would have known weeks ahead of time right. that it was going to be his. And so why would I get that, you know, that up, that hype for it? So it's just an interesting thing. And I don't, you know, I don't know that it really means a whole lot in the grand scheme of things when it comes to like, you know, prestige and program blah blah blah, and all that kind of other stuff but it's just something interesting to think about just because i think it reflects on how much how we consume college sports has changed because i just i can remember you know as somebody was born in 1985 i can remember in the 90s and the early 2000s i mean you know this is just this giant shiny you know goblet that you could hold up and it was it was something that still had i think a lot of this mystique and awe you know, having all the former Heisman winners up on the stage, that was something that I think meant a whole lot. Now it's like, yeah, but I see him in the State Farm House or whatever the hell it is, mm-hmm. the Heisman House. It's not as cool as the Heisman House. It's not as fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, it's just, it's not, it's not the same. And um, I'm not usually somebody who waxes nostalgic about all that kind of stuff, but I do think that's something that uh, has been lessened over the years. I think that's unfortunate. Um but again, maybe they should just give it to an Ohio State player every year, and then I won't feel that way. Yeah, so. and you'll feel a little bit better about it. That's right. One thing that I'm not super uh, feeling, I'm not feeling much better about right now, is uh, the current state of Ohio State recruiting. And I, I got, I'll admit, Chase, and I, I'm pretty sure that you're more locked into this than I am. I feel like Ohio State recruiting has been taking a lot of lumps 
in the past, you know, week or so. I mean, you've you've got some guys who are leaving. Uh, you've you've got a target in uh, Keeley, uh, defensive end uh, Ken Keeley, who is now going to Alabama, and that was a huge, you know, potential get for Ohio State. Obviously, not coming to Columbus. It looks like they're really nervous about their defensive back uh, position, uh, where they just offered four guys from the same school <laughs> today. Uh, where where is Ohio State at in recruiting right now? Is this is this something where Ohio State fans should start to feel a little bit nervous, especially if you look at like the roster maybe at the defensive back position and right. thinking about personnel? Like, is that is that an area of concern? Do you think? Let me put it this way, if I can borrow from your threat level uh, and <laughs> okay. my assessment, I wouldn't necessarily say Ohio State fans should hit the panic alarm. Like we're not at, you know, threat level midnight where we're, you know, just throwing everything that we can, everything at the kitchen sink, you know, trying to get these recruits. Mm-hmm. It might feel that way. And I think like a lot of that comes from whatever the heck the NIL foundations were trying to do this previous week in organizing, you know, funding for their organizations. And yeah, I, I yeah, I'm putting it out too. on Maine, right? Like on Twitter. Right. Saying, like, we don't know what we're doing. Help. Like. Right. And <laughs> Dan Hope and I were laughing the other day because technically these foundations are charities, um, right. which I think right. is really funny because you're just, I mean, basically what these people are doing, the people that run these foundations are asking for the common person to, pay so that Ohio state can benefit by getting athletes through NIL. Right. Um, And I don't want to dive too deep into that rabbit hole because it's its own thing, but I don't think that you have to hit the panic button on Ohio state's recruiting class, but there is a couple of concerning storylines that come up when you consider the decommitments of a running back like Mark Fletcher, um, a couple of the guys that they may have, considered to be his replacement then deciding to go somewhere else i think about trey cornist as a running back from Wynn woods in cincinnati that um, was a potential replacement for fletcher in this class he ends up going somewhere else um you look at this a, a couple of guys that it, it's it's a whole thing where even guys now have to recommit themselves by posting on social media and saying Hey, like I'm here for the long haul. Like Jermaine Matthews did that the other day, a cornerback or a safety, excuse me, that was saying, you know, I'm, I'm here. Like I heard rumors that I might be, that people think I might be leaving, but like mm-hmm. I'm here for the recruiting class. And it's like people are almost hitting the panic button too soon that rumors are swelling and circulating that these guys aren't as committed as they may seem. And so it just is, it's, it's becoming something where I think a lot of concern may be leading to deeper concern in other areas. But if we, we peel it back a little bit and we decide, decide to just, you know, reel it in a little bit, we might find that things aren't as, you know, troublesome as they might seem from the outside. Yeah, it's not going to be, you're not going to hit home runs every single week. I mean, there's going to be setbacks. And you know what, like, God. Brandon Ennis for uh, <laughs> repeatedly tweeting over and over and over again how much he enjoys being with Ohio State, <laughs> being on the team, and all. That. Like I, I don't know the the unbridled enthusiasm is something that I I very much appreciate. I think that's uh, I think that's pretty pretty entertaining in one sense, and also like I don't know. I just we talked a little bit about last week. Like you need guys that are going to be glue guys. You need guys that are going to be. Uh, enthusiastic about where they're at, not take such a mercenary attitude towards it. And um, 
I don't know. It's it's good to see that, especially when you have, you know, decommitments and, and people going elsewhere and things like that. And I, I'm with you. I mean, Ohio State still has an unbelievable recruiting class. I don't think that's going to change. I, there are there are definitely holes in uh, the roster that you need to see filled. And I would hope I would hope that looking at the um, you know, looking at the transfer portal, right? There are a number number of guys that they might, you know, look towards to say, hey, you can come on and step in. And, and you know what? Maybe not just at the re, at the um, you know defensive back position, even at the quarterback position, even there might be some opportunities for that, especially since a guy like CJ Stroud is not going to be around after this year. So um, I don't know. It, it's an, it, it's an interesting place to be, especially at this time of year. I think if right. that makes sense, because yeah. really, you know. It is such a critical time in recruiting in a lot of different ways. And uh, I mean, you see what the, you know, the coaches are doing this week, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's, it's nonstop. It's 24 seven. They're just out there meeting kids, talking to kids, going to schools. It's, it's nuts. It's absolutely crazy. It's something right now where I know a lot of recruiting coordinators, or I guess I should say are recruiting experts that might be working for the multiple Ohio state beats um, around Columbus that, they're very frustrated with the timing of what the what the NCAA has put in place with the transfer portal, mm-hmm. the early signing period, all this happening before bowl games take place. And right. with Ohio State specifically, this coaching staff needs to prepare for a college football playoff semifinal against Georgia. But at the same time, they're being asked to go hit the recruiting trail to try and find guys that might be signing on national signing day, um, which at the point of us recording this podcast is nine days from now. Um, And then you're also having to recruit the guys that are on your team (laughs) while also recruiting the guys that are committed to you. So it's, it's a lot of layers there that I think there's, there needs to be change in that aspect of as to what the timing of all these things are. But you can even just see it in the total numbers. I have 24-7 sports pulled up where Alabama has the number one class. They have 25 commits. Georgia is second. They have 23. Notre Dame is third with 26. Texas is fourth with 21. And then Ohio State's fifth with 19 commits. Mm. Um, if you're looking at the average composite score, Ohio State actually ranks second or third, excuse me, behind Alabama and Georgia in terms of total talent for the number of commits that they have. So you're looking, you're feeling good about that number, but in terms of total commitments, you might not be that, you might not feel that secure in the fact that Ohio State has six less commits than Alabama and four less than Georgia, seven less than Notre Dame. The total number might be a concern, but you are still getting the talent out of those 19 commits that should you know, provide some promise for years to come. There's just a lot happening right now that makes it a confusing time to be a fan, especially what a fan that follows recruiting. Um, as I know many of our readers and listeners do um, daily with Garrick's posts and on the forum. Yeah. You know what? I actually, I think one of the things that I want to write about and, and do some research on is just the the time commitments in general that are required of, you know, college football coaches and, you know, I, I've been the kind of guy who's come out and said that I am I'm I'm an NIL apologist. I think NIL and a lot of the changes are in general pretty good changes for college football. I don't think it's going to lead to the end of the sport or anything like that. But what I will say is that the time, like like I said, the time commitments, the 
just the general work changes, I think, the work-life balance changes, the work changes, what you're expected to do as a coach, that I don't think is particularly sustainable. And there's, there's going to have to be a way that they allow these guys to do their jobs uh, and in a way that's actually functional and sustainable. I, again, I don't, I don't have a problem with guys getting paid through NIL. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that, you know, somebody can get paid for doing work. I don't think that's, that's a bad thing at all. But I do think that the way it's being done right now is just bonkers. It's just ridiculous. And so I don't, you know, I don't know. We'll see what happens. You know, as far as Ohio State goes, they'll be fine. I don't think their recruiting class is all of a sudden going to suck because, you know, they had a couple bad weeks or something like that. Um, But it's long term. It's something to definitely look at and pay attention to. All right. I want to get into this. I, I feel like we have been giving. Uh, we've been given the men's basketball team the high hat over the past few weeks. We've been talking, we've been talking down to them. We haven't been, uh, you know, given the attention that they deserve. They are ranked 23rd in the AP poll after their misbegotten ill gained win over Rutgers, which is still hilarious to me. Um, I want to talk some basketball Buckeyes chase. How excited are you about this number? Again, number 23, and the AP poll, 23rd ranked Ohio State men's basketball team. How do you feel about these guys right now? I'm excited. Um, I've told, I've had many conversations with Griffin before that, you know, growing up as an Ohio State fan, I actually probably, maybe not quite as equal as it may feel like looking back, but I I really like watching Ohio State basketball. Um, Basketball is just kind of the sport that I love to watch and I love to sit and just sort of analyze the game as it's happening and, and see what's happening on the courts. It's a sport I've grown to love and I grew up playing. And so Ohio state basketball has always been something that's special to me. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I really love watching, um, the games as, I mean, as they take place, I kind of can just feel myself become a kid again. So that's my own little tangent on that matter. But as far as Ohio state's performance this season, um, I think they've looked good. Um, from top to bottom, I think that this roster has just an exciting feel about it. Um, still because you just don't really know a lot about these guys and how they gel together and how they mix together. Um, you don't even really have a clear uh, top cut number one option on offense. So you kind of have to figure out who that's going to be each night. You have to figure out who your distributors are going to be. You have to figure out who your top defender is going to be, um, which can be um, it can be a little bit. <laughs> it can be a little bit nerve wracking when you enter in against games like Texas tech or San Diego state or Duke or North Carolina is coming up this Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, but for as much as it may cause some sort of anxiety towards those games, it creates just as much excitement because you don't have to go into it expecting maybe like we were talking about the Heisman that it's predetermined who's going to be your leading scorer every night, who's going to grab the most boards, who's going to get you the most steals. You kind of get to go in it with open hands and find out what happens. You know what? That's the thing, though, because this is a team that for the past several years has looked promising going into basically the winter break. Right. Because they they essentially have a winter break. They they will kind of uh, put into neutral after December 21st. They play Maine, which I mean, I believe that's the Black Bears of Maine. So, you know, <laughs> hopefully you get that win against North Carolina, which is a team that has not looked amazing this season. So you're looking at a team that could potentially be going into January 5th against Purdue on a long winning streak. 
Okay, that essentially will be like what? Okay, so that's 9, 10, 11. You could be looking at something like 11 and 2, 12 and 2, something like that going into Purdue. Um, the question for me is, especially because of that uncertainty up and down the roster and really who is the guy and who are you looking to to score and create on a regular basis, are they going to be able to sustain that in Big Ten play? And that's really, that has been the Achilles heel for Chris Holtman for years now. And I, I want to see this team be really successful because I love Zed Key. I think it's hilarious that he's the team's leading scorer right now. Um, he's giving you a damn near double-double every night. Um, Bryce Sensabaugh is like really good on offense. Justice Suing, it's awesome to see that dude back and being productive. Um, I, you know, this is a team that's got about five guys who are averaging double figures every night. That's awesome, right? Especially for a young team like this. I just, I, I, I want to get excited. I want to believe, but I just, I, I can't until I see it in January and February. If that happens, and I'm not saying they got to go out and beat, you know, Purdue, right? Purdue's sick. But what they do have to do is be competitive in those games and not get blown out and not look bad, uh, you know, and lose focus and things like that as they have in years past. Um, but I got to tell you, man, there's a lot of fun dudes on this team. It's, it is a fun team to watch. And that's you, you just want that to continue. So I don't know. I mean, let me ask you this, Chase. Where do you... Where do you think this ends up? Where do you think this team is in the next couple months or after the next couple months, maybe even looking towards the NCAA tournament? I think, honestly, I'm in that same boat as you. I just kind of need to see them perform a little bit more deeper into Big Ten play to really make a confident prediction as to where they'll end up. But honestly, it's it, it, it kind of seems like this is a, for as much as it's different, a typical Chris Holtman squad that will be competitive, though it might have a slump or two somewhere in the middle of January, somewhere in the middle of February, um, before it gets to the Big Ten tournament. And then if it does qualify, I'm expecting this team to qualify for the NCAA tournament. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that this team probably, if I had to be a better on this team, maybe wins a game at the NCAA tournament, maybe two. Maybe Chris Holtman reaches the Sweet 16 with this team. I don't really see... (laughs) You know, um, unless I get to People see will never reach more. Sweet 16 with any team. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know if I've ever seen a more, a bigger storyline surrounding any Ohio State sport than the way that fans get upset about Chris Holtman not making the Sweet 16. It is so funny to me that if anything, if you're going to point out anything about him, you're going to point out that he's never made it to the Sweet 16 and he's never gotten past it. Uh, whatever terminally online but yeah (laughs) but that's you know what though that's all part of it that's the thing though and i'll be honest i've i've railed against this dude for his last lack of success not just necessarily in the ncaa tournament but the fact that these teams just he has had really good teams he has had some really legitimately good teams it's not about making a huge run in the ncaa tournament although that's something that you want to see it's more the fact that they just have underperformed in the last month or so of the season, like sure. right early. Yeah. And the, the weird thing is about the Big Ten this year is that you have some really, really good teams, right? Like you have some great teams, honestly. And then you've got a lot of like trash teams. And so you would hope that Ohio State, with the amount of talent that they have, and they have a lot of talent, and the fact that they've got Justice Suing back, the fact that you've got Zed Key, who's going to be one of the most consistent performers in the Big Ten on a night-to-night basis, 
you should be able to make some noise in the, either the Big Ten tournament or the NCAA tournament. And I just, I don't, I don't need to see Ohio State in the Final Four, right? I don't need to see Ohio State win the Big Ten tournament. You got to win a couple games. You, right. you got to win a couple games. And and to me, part of that's planning. Part of that's you know being actually more meticulous than a forensics officer. Like you, you have to be able to actually be that if you're going to convince me that it's ever going to get any better than the first round of the NCAA tournament. Um, because it should at Ohio state, it should. And, and with the players that you have, I think you've got to do better than that, frankly. Um, yeah. I don't know. I I'm a little, I would definitely say I'm a little more aggressive in my Chris Holtman criticism, maybe than some, but it's, it's, it's frustrating at this point, I think is the best way to put it. Yeah. I mean, last year you had two NBA players on your team Yeah, and you lose in the first round, I believe to Penn state in the big 10 tournament. And then oh, you by go the way, out. Chris Holtman's record overall in, in conference tournaments is hilariously bad. Like it's it's unbelievably bad. It's <laughs> people really yeah. need to look at that. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't looked it up, please do. Yeah, we we I need agree. you to know. Um it, it is something that it, it is a little bit of a letdown. And maybe to use the phrase a little bit there is honestly too forgiving of Holtman's performance as the head coach of the team because you had two NBA players on your team last season in EJ Liddell and Malachi Branham. Um, EJ Liddell ended up falling to the second round, but we all know that he probably should have been one of the later picks in the first round. Yep. Only really his size takes him down that far in the draft. But you, you look at the roster makeup and it just sort of felt disappointing that they didn't go further in the tournament for what that roster construction looked like. You know, they beat, uh, Loyola, but that was the worst basketball game I think I've ever watched. Was that Loyola game? So bad. Um, I don't have the final score in front of me. I'm sure I could pull it up quickly, but we'll get the tech guys on that. Um, we we talk about that game as a positive thing, but really you were lucky to escape the fact that Loyola just could not shoot the basketball at all in that yeah. game. That and was then, uh, by the way, real quick. The I, the producer has just ringed me and, and given me the score. That was a fifty four to forty one barn burner. <laughs> um, you know what's irritating too, though, is that as bad as they looked in that game, they actually looked pretty good against Villanova. They did. They did. They didn't look terrible. And you're like, okay, like maybe keep that same energy up and other. I don't know. You know, it's just one of those things where you're like, Jesus, why is it so inconsistent? But yeah. That, after that Villanova game, game too, they uh, Jay Wright was so complimentary of Chris Holtman's work as Ohio State's head coach, and Jay Wright okay. obviously is one of the greatest coaches of the of the 2010s for sure. I'm sure it goes back even further for you can making that claim, but he's someone that was very complimentary of him. I know Tom Izzo has always been very complimentary of him. So you have guys that are in his corner, if you want to call it that, that have said he is a very talented coach. Um, you know, Rothstein's always coming up with what you said earlier. He's more meticulous than a forensics officer. But until you really see the results uh, in terms of Big Ten tournament production and in terms of NCAA tournament production, winning games when it matters, I'm not sure that you can really consider Ohio State's seasons to be that successful. You've made the tournament, but until you make noise and until you start winning games, Ohio State is a place, though it is a football school, it has the money and the resources to put you in a position to be successful every single season. Um, and they are there. They're a top 25 team. They're ranked number 23 right now. 
but can they put it together consistently for the entire season so that there is hype around the program that they will be successful in the postseason and build something toward next year and the years beyond. And well, right now, I don't know if that's the case. And I got to tell you something, though, because if if you're looking, you know, grass is always greener on the other side. If you're looking now, you know, and seeing what other you know teams are out there, what other coaches are out there. Well, guess what? Uh, you may be looking at, you know, maybe Thad Mata at Butler and going, huh, what's what's going on here? What, why, why, why would we, uh, why, why do we have this situation at Ohio state when maybe one of the former coaches has been out of the game for a while is, is able to maybe make as much noise with far fewer resources. And and that's, and that's when the attention really goes back in Chris Holtman. Now with that said, I don't want to be super negative because I do enjoy watching this basketball team a lot, uh, especially guys like Bryce Sensenbaugh. I mean, that's, I mean, he really does when he takes over the game and is able to do certain things. That's just, it's a lot of fun watching him play. Uh, I love Zed Geaty's game. I just, I like a guy who is such a grinder and, 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 you know, hits the board as hard as he does. I love that kind of stuff. Um, and really the thing is, is that like, as I mentioned earlier, if you look at this upcoming schedule, okay, in the next like four or five games, North Carolina, that's a winnable game. Honestly, they, you know, SRS says that this is a team that's actually like less of a threat than Rutgers was. So that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. You got Maine, you're going to win that game. Alabama AM, you're going to win that game. Northwestern, you should win that game. So you've got some, you've got a good stretch here to build some momentum going into playing Purdue and then Maryland back to back. Um, and then you've got Minnesota pushover. You got Rutgers again, Nebraska. I mean, it's, it's up and down. Um, I'm frankly looking forward to obviously, you know, any matchup against Michigan, because that's going to be wild. And then of course, uh, watching Fran's head explode, um, against Iowa. Um, hopefully, hopefully Ohio state does something where he just gets himself fired because that would be really funny to me because, (laughs) I don't know if you saw Fran McCaffrey's latest blow up, but oh, it's it was very entertaining. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's he's a terrible human being, but you know what? It's funny to watch him go crazy and lose his mind. So hopefully Ohio State can contribute to that and possibly get uh, you know um, you know Michigan in trouble some more. I don't know. We'll see. I mean it's always good to get vengeance and in some small petty way and, and maybe John Howard will do something, and get himself fired as well. So who knows? Uh, let's go ahead and move on. We, we've got our very favorite part of the program. And I, and I say that not just because they're, you know, giving us money, but also because it's fun and interesting and cool. <laughs> um, so let's talk about bet Jack. Um, so we're going to talk about the bet Jack parlay on the 11 dub cast. And, and we just want to, uh, to let you know that, you know, bet Jack is a place where you can, you know, place bets, uh, you know, find sports lines, all kinds of great stuff. Check it out. Um, basically what you need to know about the, uh, the bet Jack process here is that it's the only sports book designed by Ohio sports fans for Ohio sports fans. And uh, yeah, go ahead and pick them, check it out, especially during bowl season. If you're into that, that's, I think a pretty big time, uh, you know, well, uh, place use of your time use of your time uh let's go and do some we're gonna do some uh we're gonna do some nfl this week chase and i don't know how big you are into the betting process and how uh how detailed you get into it do you do you do any um let me ask you this do you do like any fantasy football i do play fantasy football big fan okay of so i would imagine then that you pay pretty close attention to like favorites and things like that you know as the season is going on 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that readers of the game day school sessions will know that I'm a very talented picker when it comes to the point spreads. Fantastic. All right. So let's get into it then. I'm going to, I'm going to start with uh, the AFC um, mostly because my really only you know, rooting interest in the NFL is, is the Bengals. And I'm, I'm curious to see how the division is doing. We got Baltimore against Cleveland. Cleveland is coming off, obviously a loss against, Oh, I almost said Ohio state, a loss against the Bengals. Uh, Joe Burrow finally exercised that demon. Um, this is an interesting matchup. I think for a couple different reasons right now, uh, the point spread is, uh, I think it's three points uh, in favor of the Browns, probably because you're dealing with some injuries at Baltimore. How do you feel about that? As a Browns fan, I will never be confident that the Browns can win a game or cover <laughs> this spread. Um, do you think that so, point spread is just because of the quarterback situations? For I, both teams? I would say so. I think that Lamar Jackson is trending toward playing in this game, but he might be questionable. Yeah. Um, I don't believe he played on Sunday. So I think that he would be sort of battling back from an injury. This game is in Cleveland, yeah? Yes, it is. So they it, are they're, they are going to give them the home field advantage there as well. I, I Actually, the more I think about it, I do like this line favoring Cleveland. Um, it, that is if and only if Lamar Jackson is not playing. Um, okay. Now the, the caveat to that is how heavily do, do the Ravens rely on the run game without Lamar Jackson playing? Um, because that has been what the Browns are susceptible to this season has been the run game, especially runs up the middle because there is nothing. And I mean, nothing that can stop any runs up the middle because the defensive tackles have been horrible this season. <laughs> yes. Um, so that is also another thing to play, but I would say that I might, I might take the Browns there if Lamar Jackson's not playing. You know what, even if Lamar Jackson is in it, I just feel like this is one of those things, and I hate to say this because I really don't like you know, Deshaun and I, I I don't wish him any success whatsoever, but I think this is just the game where maybe he gets his groove back a little bit. And you could kind of see it against uh, the Bengals where, again, not a winning performance out of him, um, but he definitely was feeling a lot more comfortable than he was in his first game back. And I, I think this is probably the game that they end up taking. Um, so, you know, I'm not super excited about that prospect. And But on the other hand, uh, it definitely helps out the Bengals in terms of the standing. So I would be cool with it. So next one here, let's do uh, Atlanta at New Orleans. New Orleans is a four-point favorite in this. How do you feel about that one? Both teams suck. <laughs> <laughs> I think if we're going to be honest that both these yeah, and I, the reason why I'm up, I mean, I'm really, I'm playing the Ohio state angle here, right? Sure. Like I want to see, I want to see how you feel about, um, you know, wide receiver situation, obviously, like wh- what do you think is going to go on here? I think that if this game has any entertainment value, it's going to come from a guy like Chris Olave exploding on the football field, especially if you're an Ohio state football or football fan. Um, yeah. I've been kind of confused all year as why the Saints have been rolling with Andy Dalton as their quarterback sort of feels like they may be intentionally trying to lose football games because he is playing. <laughs> I know you said you're a Bengals fan. I know Andy Dalton had a very successful, depends on you how you view successful. He won a lot of games for Cincinnati. He didn't win any playoff games. Correct. Um, but Andy Dalton is a guy that is – he's not the difference maker. And so I've been confused as to why the saints have continued to rely on him for his services 
when it seemed like they had a higher ceiling with Jameis Winston. Um, as for the Falcons, I know that they're riding with Desmond Ritter now, so he provides some intrigue to this matchup. Um, but if this game's in New Orleans, you got a guy like Chris Olave on the field, you get guys like Alvin Kamara in the Saints offense. I would, I think I'm going to lean with the Saints in this one. Okay. Um, let's do this one. This one's, I'm again, I don't, I want to stay away from maybe some of the, the obvious choices, but I'm, I'm intrigued by this particular game. We got Detroit at the New York Jets. Detroit is a one point favorite in this. Is everybody like super high? on on Detroit right now and is that justified because I, I know they've been getting they're hot they're getting a lot of talk everybody likes them <laughs> Dan Campbell yeah is, are we okay are are we there yet is is that the team that we should be betting on right now or do they have actual momentum is this just kind of like a, oh that's a fun story kind of deal both teams have sort of overperformed this year honestly when you look at the Jets and how they entered this season and some of the storylines that have been coming out of New York with Zach Wilson and um, some of their other players just kind of being disinterested. I know Elijah Moore had a couple of problems earlier this year with how the offense was being run. And, but still, they're winning games. Uh, Mike White is winning them games just by solely relying on throwing the ball to Garrett Wilson. Hell yeah. Um, and, but also, you look at Detroit as a team that has just been plagued with losses for as long as I can remember. Uh, for as much as I've been, you know, just sort of downtrodden with sadness about the Cleveland Browns being horrible my entire life, the, the Detroit Lions have been in exactly the same spot. Um, but they're sort of riding the high right now. I think I've, they've won. I think they started one and seven, and they might be six and seven now. Yeah, um, they've won five in a row, um, or at least winning. They've won quite a bit of their last few games. So I, I think that you know, to, to say that Detroit is a favorite in this game is surprising, but I kind of like it. And I think I might go with the Lions. All right. Fair enough. You know what? I'm going to ride with them too. I, I am, if anything, I am nothing if not a bandwagoner. So I'm, <laughs> I'm totally fine with that. I will front run on any, but any team that somebody tells me to do that because I just, I want to win. I want to be right. So I'm with you. I'll, I'll take the one point. Spread. I'll say, I'll say they will in fact, uh, cover that. Uh, so again, want to thank Bet Jack for the sponsorship and also providing us with uh, you know these these great lines and, the, and a fantastic website with which to utilize them. So thank you to the BetJack dot uh, training camp parlay, all that kind of great stuff. So our next segment is, of course, the internationally famous Ask Us Anything, and we want to remind you that you can ask us literally anything by sending us questions to Dubcast at 11warriors.com and just remember in the off season we really do want you to ask us actually anything because we love answering questions it's fun uh this first question here is from uh kevin who wants to know with ohio state in the college football playoff which underclassmen do you expect will try to go pro so chase aside from the obvious are there any guys on the roster that you would say this dude's out of here that's a really good question um yeah we got the obvious guys so we got cj stroud right um we got guys like paris johnson jr i would put him as as one of the obvious ones um ronnie hickman has already announced his intentions yep i would say that you could look at a guy like one of the linebackers maybe dip this year after a strong performance um after strong performances 
for some reason, I don't want to say that it would be Tommy Eichenberg, but also Steel Chambers is a guy that's just hard nosed and tough. Um, so do you I, think because the linebackers really do kind of intrigue me with a question like this? Do you yeah. think that they can raise their their draft profile, or is this basically as high as it's going to go for these dudes? I think a guy like Tommy Eichenberg still could because he's shown it on tape for a season, but I think a lot of people might also point to what he had put on tape the previous three years, right. namely last season when Kerry Combs was the defensive coordinator. Uh, the reason why I might say still chambers is because of his versatility. Mm-hmm. Um, he's an intriguing option because of how athletic he is with that versatility, being able to play running back and linebacker and make that transition rather quickly. Um, and pick up on some of the the smaller details of playing the linebacker position um, at an incredibly efficient rate. Um, so he's somebody that I might look out for. Um, if I were to also say somebody, it could be Cade Stover. Um, Cade Stover is a guy that has been all over draft boards all season um, because of his ability to block and his ability to catch. Now, I know we have guys like Kyle. My, Kyle Jones, our film analyst, might not love that that idea maybe he would actually um no no he would no he yeah, would. Probably would he would he, we stoked about that um but i do think that kate stover is somebody that could potentially you know ride the the high valuations that people may be giving him now to to go mm-hmm. to the pros and strike while the iron is hot i think that would be very interesting although i do know that in the uh, the nfl they do occasionally ask titans to block so <laughs> that may be difficult um right so I, but no, the, again, the linebacker situation is something that I find really interesting. And I'm, that's probably, I think the positional group that I'll be paying most attention to when it, it comes to this question. So that's really good. I, I appreciate that question because it's, it's one that I think will go a long way towards determining how we feel about the off season, no matter how this whole thing plays out, because next year, I think you can make an argument. It's definitely a rebuilding year for Ohio state. And in a lot of ways, not not a complete rebuild like you see at other teams, but in in some ways more so than we've seen, I think, with Ohio State in a long time. So it'll be interesting to see how that kind of that narrative plays out. Uh, this next one here is from our good friend Alvin, who wants to know, in the spirit of random bowls, if you could create a real bowl game, where would it be and what would the name be? Who is the sponsor and what is the theme? This is another really good question. That's an excellent you question. You guys get some great questions. I there. know. I know. Well, especially, I mean, Alvin, longtime listener, fantastic question submitter for many, many years. He's 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 the best. Um, I got to tell you something, though, man. I'm all about foreign games, like games played abroad in other countries and other parts of the world. So I would do something like, <laughs> I would do something where you would put a team, put two teams in like the middle of freaking nowhere. And I mean, yeah. like, no, the middle of nowhere. I think there's like, I was actually reading, I've read this book recently about like subterranean um, places around the world, like caves, tunnel systems, things like that. And part of the book was about the, uh, the, like the doorway to hell. I think it's like in Turkmenistan, like in a former Soviet Republic where they opened up this methane pit. <laughs> it's like this thousand degree pit. Like I'm just saying it would be pretty cool to put a, a college football bowl game right next to that. And by the way, I also want to say this, 
and I know that I, I, and I'm making air quotes here. I joke about this, but if you're not, look, if you're going to make your own bowl game and you're not using it to launder money, then I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> so I would go to some remote part of the world where I could easily bribe the locals and to basically just giving me whatever I want launder a crap ton of money and basically this would be the tax write-off bowl where <laughs> where i sell again air quotes i sell all of the tickets and then there's like 20 people on the stands and then nobody knows what the actual score of the game was because it's only broadcast on like a closed circuit somewhere in like you know <laughs> siberia or something streamed like on that. twitch yeah yeah no 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 i wouldn't even stream it on twitch it would be like (laughs) it would just be a series of like tiktoks like it wouldn't even be streamed it would just be like a series of tiktoks that you have to watch in order to understand what's happening in the game and there'd be like 500 of them but really it's just a money laundering enterprise i mean that's that's really what it comes down to alvin i'm sorry that's the thing the theme is making me money that's that's what we're going for I was going to go with something a little bit more uh, reeled back than that, but I love the idea. Um, I was on the same page with you with putting a bowl game overseas. Oh, I yeah. was not thinking. By the way, can I say this real quick? Sorry to interrupt. Oh, you're How good. messed up is it that like two teams in, in one like G5 conference get to go to Bermuda to play a bowl game and then like two better teams in the same conference have to go to like mobile alabama that that doesn't seem equal to me that does not seem equivalent i i'm really you know if i'm if i'm like in the same conference in miami or ohio i'm like these guys suck where are they going oh bermuda or Bahamas? like where are we going oh we're going to memphis like i i would be furious is all i'm saying i, I don't think that's quite fair so let me tell you what I just did and let me explain what just happened. I had a, I had a strike of brilliance an epiphany really. Okay. Um, thinking about where I could put a bowl game that would just be insane. So I, I had a thought, can a football field fit on an aircraft carrier? <laughs> and so I type in, can a football field fit into my Google search bar and it automatically fills in with fit on an aircraft carrier. Oh my gosh. Uh, And yes, it fits. So like they used to do with basketball games, let's put a football field on an (laughs) aircraft carrier. Maybe we take that ship out to like above a Mariana's trench. Oh my God. And we play a football game in the middle of the ocean. That would be incredible. How about that? That That would would be be my insane place to have a bowl game other than that the, you know i would want the aircraft carrier to be like actively conducting missions while the game was going on like the halftime show the halftime show was just like you know an f-18 coming out of the middle of the field and like <laughs> flying off to like you know i don't know destroy some terrorist den or something like that um yeah, that'd be sick. I think they should absolutely do that. I think that's that's a great idea. And the other thing is, if you're in international waters, you can do pretty much whatever you want. So I think that's a great idea. I enjoy that quite a bit. Um, uh, lastly here, this is from Nate, who says, if Ohio State plays Michigan for the national t- championship, and by the way, I'm kind of ambivalent about whether I want that to actually happen. I, I think my heart would like explode from stress. I don't know that I could actually do that. Yeah. 
Um, but if that were to happen, would it be the biggest game in the history of American sport? If not, what is? I don't think it would be. I, it would be to Ohio State and Michigan fans. I, I don't think it would be, you know, even close. But I think the problem with the way you posit that question uh, is that you you have to kind of understand that like a lot of people as as big as Ohio State and Michigan are in the sport of college football and football in general, not everybody can get invested in that. What people can get invested in is a sense of national pride and like, I don't know, anger or, or like, you know, wanting to beat a, an international villain. And, and my point with all of that is to say that I think the biggest game in the history of American sport was the miracle on ice. I don't, I, I really don't think that can be topped because you had the cold war as the backdrop. You had an international event like the Olympics going on, you had this huge underdog story. I think that has to be the singular greatest game in the history of American sport, just because it brings in everybody. Like even, even people who've never heard of hockey, don't care about hockey. They're going to watch that game. They're going to have an emotion about that game because of everything going on around it. That's not necessarily the case with an Ohio state Michigan national championship. Although again, it would be enormous for us. I don't think it has the same kind of cross cultural appeal that something like, you know, an event in the Olympics might have. Mm. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Um, I think I made a claim that I don't want to go back on in my school session. Okay. Um, where basically I said that if we're going to call Ohio state and Michigan, the greatest rivalry in sport, then the first time that game taking place in the national championship occurs we would need to consider it the greatest game that would take place in sport because of that reason. Mm-hmm. Right? Like if we're going to throw around the claim that Ohio state and Michigan is the greatest rivalry in, in all of sport, then it needs to then, um, if a game is going to take place on that sports biggest and most grandiose stage, that it would need to be the biggest game. Um, but when you bring up a point like that, I see where you're coming from, you know, you don't even have to be a fan of sports to know what the miracle on ice is. And maybe that's because they made a phenomenal Disney movie about it, but oh yeah, that, that movie rules. I love it. But there is a reason why you know about that game that just as an American, you hear about it right. and it echoes throughout time. I don't think that Ohio state Michigan national championship would echo throughout time No, to where, you know, your, your parents are talking about where they were when the miracle on ice happened, maybe because, you know, 50 years from now, I'll probably still be watching Ohio state football. I'll tell my kids and my grandkids about the Ohio state Michigan national championship. But I don't think a person that lives say out West on the West coast is going to be like, man, like I remember where I was when Ohio state played Michigan in the national championship. Because in some sense, I feel like you, you have a certain emotional connection to say the miracle on ice or any of that sort of stage of sport performance that you wouldn't necessarily have with this game. So I I think you make a great point there. Yeah. And you know, the thing is like, it'll still, you know, if that happens, it'll still do unbelievable, insane numbers, but um, you know, it still won't, even that won't do the same kind of numbers that your average, you know, NFL playoff game might pull right in terms of viewership. So it's, it's, it's more niche than sometimes I think we, like to admit or or want to admit but it's 
not to take anything away from it, but it just doesn't have that kind of cross-cultural appeal. So excellent questions out of all of you. I really appreciate all of them every week. They're fantastic. We have great listeners and we love answering your great questions. Last thing before we get out of here, a um, couple thoughts on Mike Leach. You know, as of now, right now, he's in critical condition. Um, you know, there's a lot of rumors and things like that swirling around. Uh, I don't, you know. I don't want to speculate on anything. I don't know anything about just to know that obviously he's in, you know, kind of a dire straits, not doing well. Here's the thing I'll say about Mike Leach. Um, I don't think we're ever going to see a dude like that again in the sport of big time college football. He is his, the most unique singular coach that I can ever remember thinking of. And it's not like people talk about Jim Harbaugh, like, Oh, he's so quirky and funny and weird. And Michigan fans love at this point. They didn't used to <laughs> right? yeah. a couple of years ago. They were like, Oh, his quirks are terrible. And I hate him now, but now his quirks are great because he's winning. He's not Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh is not a 10th as interesting. I think as a guy like Mike Leach is uh, because that's a guy who, you know, all the other stuff aside, you know, talking, you know, his, his hilarious interviews and all the things that he did and, you know, going on TV and doing the weather report. That's yes, that is all really interesting. You know, the swinger sword and, and, and the pirate stuff. But like, this is a guy who was a lawyer, right? Who thought football was interesting. And didn't really like, I mean, he played football for a few years. I think he was recruited to go to BYU, but ended up not doing that. Played rugby. This is a guy who has such a unique perspective on football. And I think because of it has led him to do things that other people would have never have considered in terms of X's and O's and, and how he wants to approach the game. And because of that, because of that experience, because of who he is, um, I just think that story is unique and interesting and, you know, prayers to, to him and his family, because again, just, you know, whatever you think about him as a human being, that, that story, that uh, background is just something you just don't, encounter very often in college football and he means a lot because of that so i think that's pretty awesome yeah i think that what you brought up is just exactly right his personality is probably unlike i mean it, it is it's just unlike anything that we've ever really seen not just in college football but across any collegiate sport any professional sport really it's funny i think that the last time we were on the podcast together on the dubcast we had talked about his interview with the reporter after a game that, that she had asked him what he should, what she should get for her husband. That's right. Um, and he goes on like this two or three minute spiel, just answering questions. And you put that up on like a side by side from that one clip of Nick Saban, where the reporter asks him how his team is doing. And she asks him about the health and he's like, I'm not gonna, so quit asking. You get like the, the dichotomy there that exists between a guy like Mike Leach and a guy like Nick Saban, like really, I mean, Nick Saban is the pinnacle of college coaching when it comes to winning national championships and being extremely successful. And yeah, Mike Leach doesn't have that kind of success, but he has the charisma that has made him a household name. Um, and I think that's really important to have in a sport because you can't always just have winners that are cold blooded killers. You, you kind of need a guy that's lovable that you can hug 
um, that you feel like you can wrap your arms around and just feel warmth, you know, and I feel like Mike Leach has always been that regardless of you, of whether or not you've been a fan of the team that he's coached, um, Washington state or Mississippi state. He's just been that figure that people have looked to for positivity, for a good laugh. Um, like you said, yeah, all prayers going out to Starksville and, um, yeah, just a very tragic situation and hoping for the best outcome that can come from it. Yeah, I mean, you're just, like I said, you're just not going to see the likes of him, uh, you know, ever again. And it's just, it's because I think college football has become so regimented in so many ways. And, you know, the expectations are are that, that you don't, you know, you don't see teams take flyers on guys like Mike Leach. And that's unfortunate because you want, I want more interesting people in the sport. And I just, I don't know, I, I think some of the most fun I ever had, you know, rooting for a team that wasn't Ohio state was, you know, in 2008 when Texas tech was out there just kicking people's ass. <laughs> You're like, this shouldn't happen. None of this should happen. Michael Crabtree out there. They're beating number one, Texas. It, that's the kind of stuff that really embodies college football. And I think Mike Leach was a guy who embodied the, the chaos that college football that we really love about it. Um, I mean, taking Washington State, a team that like completely moribund, had no real business winning football games to an 11 and two season, right? Finishing in the top 10 in the AP people, like that's that's something that means yeah. something. And and I just I don't know. Like I said, I'll I hope everything you know turns out for the best. But um, he he has a legacy that I think cannot be matched in in so many different ways. So like I said best to him and his family and you know hopefully we'll hear good news um but if not he's still like i said he's he's a legend um so that's the dubcast for this week thank you so much for tuning in and listening uh we'll be back next week and like i said uh andy will regale us with tales from his uh i don't know I, i'm sure he's you know seducing uh judges at a <laughs> you know at, at an AKC event and you know doing, doing this James Bond I don't know I, I'm trying to think of a way I'm trying to think of a way to combine best in show with uh, Goldfinger that's what mm-hmm. that's what Andy's doing right now so <laughs> when he comes back we'll uh, we'll hear the full report uh, but until then I'm Johnny and I'm Chase and we'll see you next week